first of all, he will around here is treated like a god. I mean, I'll never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. <laughs> you know, all the, all the parents would be gone. You, you know, there may be a few, but... You know what's funny, though, is I saw Brian Canada made a comment that he would rather run, I guess, Coach Butcher's suicide drills than recollect the past 50, uh, from 50 years ago. I guess it may be harder to recollect 50 years ago than running the suicides. Oh. Well, you know what? I, I made a couple of notes for today, and one is those are not suicide drills. Suicide is, is self-inflicted. Those are homicide drills. Those are coaches. <laughs> Those are coaches trying to kill you. I don't know. I don't know why they came up with suicides. And now you think about how politically incorrect that must be. But, but yeah, I, I, I really like words. I had a great sixth grade teacher and I really like words. and I think a lot about it and I think suicide, not so much. Nobody ever comes in and says, Hey, they all come in and they want to scrimmage, especially the starters. All right. Nobody comes in and says, Hey, can we run the lines today? Exactly, and I don't know what your gymnasium floor was like, but at Broderpool, you know, we had volleyball marks and everything else. It was line drills. Yeah, yeah. We uh, the, the new gym was better than the old gym. The old gym was so small. Um, how to explain this? The two halves of the court overlapped. Okay. All right. So if you just just imagine you got two full courts, and then you push them toward each other, so they overlap by about ten feet. So to beat the 10-second call, take it in bounds. You go past center court, past the line that is a full half court. And once you've passed that, you can back up again across what is the center of the court but uh, is not but not the uh, – anyway, there were, there were extra lines at, uh, at, at the old place. And, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's memories. <laughs> Not, so, not not anything I'd want to do today, but as a memory, that, that they're okay. Right, right. So so where where did we leave off? Are we talking about what you've been basically trying to your philosophy on sports yeah. and children's for the past? Yeah, you wanted years? me to tell you wanted me to tell the story about meeting my father-in-law for the first time in the the Olympic Games. There's there's there are several things that uh, I'm going to ask you a question too once we get on the air. Okay, uh, but. Um, yeah, you, and and I'm going to talk uh, mostly uh, clear up a few a few details and then talk about psychology and sports and teaching kids to think and things like that. Alrighty. Well, we are back with John Olson. This is part three. This is the first part three or three part series that I've had on keeping the nostalgia alive. Podbean.com. And uh, once again, John, thank you for joining us, spending some time with us, uh, uh, keeping the nostalgia alive and talking about uh, a a life in basketball and about sports. Well, once again, my pleasure to be here, Billy. (laughs) So where where did we leave off? And we had a story. I heard a little story about how you met your father-in-law. Yeah. All right. So we talked about uh, the rivalry with Bar Reeve. we played them three times my senior year, twice home and home, and then in the uh, sectional championship game. Um, Bar, Reeve is, uh, Bar and Reeve are two townships 
in Davies County, where Washington, Indiana is. Um, Bar Reef High School is actually in the town of Montgomery. And my wife and her family lived in what I'll call suburban Cannelburg. Cannelburg is a crossroads with a couple of houses. Suburban Cannelburg means they lived on a farm, all right? Mm -hmm. And my father-in-law, he he was involved in everything. They had a 10,000 chicken chicken house. He farmed. He had a couple of small oil wells. He drove a school bus. Uh, he had his finger in just about every pie, and he had uh, an establishment in Montgomery called the Farmer's Bar. It was right on Highway 50. Um, and the Farmer's Bar to us in Lagodi was like the ultimate redneck place. Um, just as, as, as barry biased as you could be. And, and we, we built up a whole folklore around the farmer's bar, not having any idea, never having been in it or knowing anybody. But as it turns out, you know, I met my wife at IU. And as we talked about various things, I found out that her father owned the farmer's bar. I thought, oh, my gosh. You know, uh, I was on a team that beat Bar Reeve in the sectional. Her brother played on that team. He was not really big on letting his daughter date. Uh, he would tell – he would – guys would guys would ask him, uh, you know, can I go out with your daughter? He said, it's fine with me. Ask her. Of course, then he her no. <laughs> so – so, you know, she and I, she and I were seeing each other. Uh, but so the, the, we, we both came home for a weekend, and I was going to go uh, out and meet her parents for the first time. This would have been uh, August 1972. Uh, that would have been the Olympics, I believe, in Munich. Uh, U.S. had never lost an, an Olympic basketball game uh, and we played with all amateurs. A lot of teams like the Soviet team, um, they were quote unquote amateurs, but they were all in the Soviet army. So all they did was play basketball, but we played with, we played with amateurs. Um, I should also say in 70, 72, uh, for your younger listeners, there was something called the cold war. Uh, after the end of world war II in 1945, Soviet Union got a, a, a good deal in terms of what land in Europe they were able to keep after World War II, and they became a power. They developed nuclear weapons. Their philosophies were diametrically opposed to everything the United States stood for. So the Cold War meant that while we weren't shooting at each other, the two countries were spying on each other, were competing economically with each other. Um, we'd just come off in the 50s, Senator McCarthy uh, this was called the Red Scare. There were everybody in the United States was afraid of anyone who was a red or a communist. The communist flag is, is I, I believe, is red with a white uh, hammer and sickle on it. So communism or anything having to do with with Russia or the Soviet Union was uh, you just want to stay away. They were they were our enemies. We didn't even know them. They were our enemies. Right. In fact, we got into space because they launched the first satellite. The first. So anyway. Uh, as it happened on this August evening in 1972, the gold medal men's basketball game was between the United States and the Soviet Union, and it was a close game. Uh, we have college players. No, of course, no pros could play. We had college players versus their, you know, older uh, military players, and the game keeps running on and on and on. Uh, and 
I'm really wanting to get out to see my girlfriend uh, and, and meet her parents for the first time. Now I'm really wanting to go out and see my girlfriend. I have to meet her parents for the first time sometime. And so I'm waiting for this game to get over. Um, Doug Collins, who played for Illinois State or Southern Illinois, Doug Collins was Michael, one of Michael Jordan's first coaches. He gets fouled at the end of the game, uh, three seconds left on the clock. He gets fouled, and the U.S. is down one point. He goes to the free throw line, hits both free throws, so the U.S. is up one point, three seconds left to go. Soviet Union gets the last possession and they missed the shot. And, Billy, I was like a sprinter in the starting blocks. I was waiting for the game to be over, so I sprint out to the car and get out meet my, my in-laws. All right? So the U.S. wins the gold medal game. This is great. That, my father-in-law is a basketball fan. We'll have My current father-in-law. Anyway, uh, we'll have something to talk about right off the bat. So I'm thinking, you know, it was a great game, so on and so forth. So I jump in the car. What I don't know is that in this seven-mile drive from my house to her house, the officials put time back on the clock. Uh, I think they may have put time back on the clock twice. But the bottom line is a court-length pass was made to a Soviet defender who not, or to a Soviet offensive player under the basket who knocked down the U.S. offender, put in a layup. Soviets won by a point. <laughs> I don't know this. Uh, this ending was so controversial that the, the runner-up medals, the second place silver medals are still, still sitting in a vault someplace. The U S refused to accept second place because they were cheated. I don't know this. So I go out to meet my father-in-law for the first time, Bob Hart, who owns a farmer's bar, bar reef, redneck bar, uh, would have been as conservative as the day is long. And the first thing I say to him is, wasn't that a great game? It couldn't have finished any better. <laughs> of course, he watched the other two endings, and he's probably wondering, this long-haired, hippie, commie from IU, you know. So that was, that was my introduction to my father-in-law. You know, it didn't take long for me to get straightened out that we got royally hosed on, on the outcome. But, uh, you know, basketball is common language, but uh, – you got to be current. I want to. I want to ask you a question. Sure. All right. We talked at the end of the last time about uh, is a basketball team like family, and I, I made a comment that you and I were both managers, uh, and in that way we were a very small family. And I want to mention uh, there's a a person who's emailed me twice. Uh, his his email address or name is Jewish Sports Collector. Jewish sports collector. He listened to the first podcast, had a couple of questions for me. So we've, we've mailed back and forth a couple of times. He listened to the second one. Jewish sports collector was also a student manager, as it turns out. So this is for the three of us. And my question to you is, how in the world, in the season that you were a student manager, did you score varsity points? Well, this is, it's, it, it's it's very unusual in that uh, we were playing Rockville, and uh, our basketball coach uh, was Bill Smith, uh, who yesterday they had the uh, uh, new inductees for the class of 2020 for the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, 
and he is now officially the only basketball coach to coach and win a state championship in 1980 and not be in the Hall of Fame. So that's my little plug for him. But um, uh, uh, he, uh, we, we had a great relationship, and I had a passion for the game. We were playing uh, manual in 85, and manual was ranked number two in the state. And, uh, you know, um, we, uh, we, were, we were getting beat pretty handily at halftime. And, and as I was crossing the floor, the officials crossed the floor, headed toward the officials' locker room. And I made some kind of uh, comment to the officials. Um, I won't tell you what I said. So we come back up from the uh, locker room and uh, get ready to start the second half. And um, I, I think, man, I may even be friends with this referee on Facebook. But uh, he, a referee comes over and gives the bench a technical foul. And we have no idea. Wow. We, have, we have no idea why. And uh, so at the end of the game, we, we lost by 20. You know, our good year was 1985 and 86, where we went uh, 26 and 0 before getting beat by Jeff George in the regional finals uh, at, at Hinkle. And um, uh, you know, I, I thought we had a good chance to win the state championship in 85 and 86, but this was the 84-85 season. So uh, we're down in the gym, and I'm doing, you know, collecting what needs to be collected, putting up stuff. It's like, man, what a bummer, you know. Uh, the first year I was at Broderpool, two years earlier, we'd went to the semi-state and we'd played. Steve Alford, and he scored 57 points against us in the um, uh, in the semi-state game. And I was sitting on the bench, and Coach's philosophy was, well, we're just going to foul him. Well, that worked out for Newcastle because he went 25 for 25 from the free throw line. And, you know, it was, uh, it was <laughs> the most the most outstanding basketball game that I've seen in person myself. So, um, you know, Coach comes in and says, Billy, I want to see you. And, and Coach Smith, I'm assuming, is a uh, a lot like – from what I understand from you guys, a lot like Coach Butcher, uh, when the coach asked to see you and you really don't know what you did wrong, it's kind of like, oh, oh, crap. So I go in and I just remember this like it was yesterday. The back of my legs were just um, uh, jelly and just they, they had this nervous impulse. And they were if you looked at me from the side, I felt like you'd see my legs going in and out and in and out without me doing it. And he said, look, and I still have no idea what what happened. He said, look, I wish that um, you would have the passion, that the rest of the team would have the passion and the love for the game and then your your passion for the game. And I said, yeah, but, you know, and and, and you don't have the skills, but I love your passion. I love how you love Broderpool basketball. But I'll tell you what. If we would have lost by two points, I would be kicking your ass right now. And I lost manager. It's I I, I took everything in like a sponge, you know. Uh, yeah. Gene Ring was our athletic director. Uh, Gene Ring played for Branch McCracken. Gene Ring was the uh, uh, freshman and assistant basketball coach for Branch McCracken for years. Played for South Bend Central underneath John Wooden. And, of course, uh, Gene Ring was the athletic director at Broderpool High School. But I, I started to just soak everything in like a sponge. This one guy came in the office one day and said, is Gene around? And I said, uh, no, he's because uh, I worked for the athletic director um, uh, in the athletic director's office uh, once a day uh, for one hour. And uh, so this guy came in and said, is Gene here today? I said, uh, no. Um, 
He should be back probably in about an hour. Who can I say? Called? Oh, uh, well, I'm Rick Mount, and uh, I'm you know I work for yeah, Emro Sporting Goods. At that time, he was working for Emro Sporting Goods in Indianapolis. So you know, it's one of those things that you know there was you know in '83 when uh, Broderpool played Newcastle in the semi-state. I was right in between Sam Alford and Coach Bill Smith. They were ready to get into a a scuffle. So, you know, I took everything in like a, like a sponge, like, but I don't think a lot of basketball players can do that because you're focused in on the actual game of basketball. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are some advantages of being a manager or, or being a sub. Uh, I think, I think what you pay attention to, uh, helps you pay attention to those same sorts of things later. You know, those, those bloodlines you're talking about, I mean, you, you have, you know somebody who knew somebody, you know, Branch McCracken, John Wooden. Um, I have a, I, I have, have a few notes here, you know, to talk on if I can do that. Oh please. One of them is a, one of them is a, one of my favorite quotes. Uh, it's a John Wooden quote: "Sports don't develop character; they reveal it." Um, I've always liked that. You, you see, you, 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 you can help develop character. Uh, but you, you see what a person's all about through sports. And as a psychologist, I've always thought that basketball is a great projective test. Okay. If, if a person is selfish on the basketball court, if they only shoot, they never pass, you probably don't want to be on a work team with them. If they assist you a lot, if they play defense, if they do the grunt work, you know, you, you probably want to be doing stuff with them off of the basketball court. I've always thought that, that, uh, as, as Coach Wooden said, uh, doesn't develop character, it reveals it. And, and I've, I've uh, rarely found, I can only think of one example of, of a guy who was way different off the basketball court than he was on it. Otherwise, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a pretty good uh, personality measure. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, it, it's interesting that you say that, you know, the six degrees of separation with basketball in the state of Indiana. You know, when I uh, asked Rick to do an interview, uh, he remembered me. You know, so that's kind of a... Uh, a yeah. But, but yeah. there were also, though, there are also a couple stories within, though, because, you know, he would... Uh, I uh, When I first graduated from Indiana State University, I did... Uh, I was the manager of the finish line in Lafayette Square, Eastgate Consumer Mall, Speedway Mall, Sp- Speedway Strip Center and also Castleton Square Mall, and uh, he was one of my customers. And, you know, he never, oh. bought, you know, and he never, bought, in, he never bought anything but a low cut, and uh, he was very, very frugal. <laughs> so <laughs> once, yeah. once I asked him if I could get an interview, oh, I remember you, I bought my shoes, and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but the first thing he said on the interview was, you know, I was, uh, I was um, uh, approached by Keds and they were going to give me $50,000 to wear their shoes and I decided I was going to wear the Converse and Converse didn't give me a dime. When I reflect upon that, I should have taken that offer from Pro Keds for that $50,000. <laughs> you know, there are a couple, you mentioned him working for Emro Sports. Uh, Lagodi bought their letter jackets from, from Emro. Uh, I, I remember that. That's been 50 years ago. Another, another Rick story, a Rick Mount story that I remember, and I can't remember where they were doing their pregame shoot-around, but he went to the officials and he said, this basket's a quarter-inch high. That was at Assembly Hall. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And they measured, and he was right. He was right. <laughs> yeah. 
Rip the rocket. <laughs> yeah, they said they tell another story about uh, <laughs> they said another story about how they had a meeting uh, and they weren't going to pass Rick the ball anymore. And <laughs> and Rick wasn't Rick wasn't uh, invited to this meeting, so he asked one of the managers. He said, "I saw all the players going to this one particular room. What was going on?" And and once again, we talk about a manager. You know, all of a sudden he's put right in. You know, do I get tossed under the bus? Do I go ahead? Okay, they're having a Rick about they're, Rick. They're having a meeting about possibly just not passing you the ball as much. <laughs> you know, um, when the ABA was a going concern, and Rick played for the Pacers, I believe uh, they. The, the Pacers played a couple of playoff games at Assembly Hall in Bloomington. So I remember going, and what struck me odd was he would drive to the basket, drive all the way out to 20 feet or so, maybe 20, you know, maybe the three-point line, and shoot. And and he wasn't the tallest guy or the greatest jumper, so, you know, that was probably a better shot for him than the layup, but I just wasn't used to guys seeing, you know, seeing guys make their way to the basket and then dribble away from it to take their shot. Uh, speaking of oh, speaking of Assembly Hall, what are your what are what what are your opinions on Assembly Hall? What are your you know your memories of it? Did you did you enjoy playing in it? Did you enjoy watching games from it? Uh, I think, and I haven't been in a lot of arenas. I think as a spectator, it may be one of the worst places to watch basketball. <laughs> it was built with virtually no seats at either end of the court. Uh, this is when it was first built. If you're sitting in the balcony, I remember going to see, I can't remember who it was. I was sitting in the balcony and somebody from IU shot and I was looking almost down straight down through the basket. There was no, I couldn't tell whether he dunked it or not. There was no perspective. And you stand up in the balcony. If you got any kind of vertigo or fear of heights, well, you don't stand up in the balcony. If you're sitting under the balcony, um, it, it, I, I don't, I, 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 I don't like it as a place to watch basketball, except for the first couple of years uh, that I was a student at IU, there wasn't anybody coming to the games. So for 50 cents, you could get, it was called the Bison Booster Club. You could get a student booster club ticket for 50 cents, and then you could sit in the seats at either end of the court. So you could see the elbows and you could see sweat flying off of people. Um, now, because the way it's built, it's like everybody is stacked up high on each side and it's, uh, it's incredibly loud. And you know, it, there's just the, the pageantry of it, you know, the, the national championship banners and every, you know, all the, all the red and, and the candy stripe pants and all that stuff. You know, it, it's, uh, I have a son-in-law, my son-in-law went to Purdue and he would say the same thing about Mackey arena, which by the way, I think is a much better place to watch basketball or, uh, Indiana state university has a smaller, Arena home and center seats about ten or eleven thousand. Not a bad seat in the house. It's it's you know a, a big it's a big bowl. Um, and it, yeah, I was I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm probably gonna jump around some Billy. That's uh, okay. Uh, I I heard somebody described. Uh, uh, we had our fiftieth reunion of the Lagodi state state finalist uh, team a couple weeks ago, and somebody referred to somebody else as the Forrest Gump of basketball. Here was here was here was my life in the 70s. 1970, the team went to the state finals. 1971, I played, we went to the semi-state final. Uh, 1972, I played freshman ball for IU, played against the, the guys who ended up, uh, I mean, I played pickup ball against the guys who ended up being uh, undefeated, undefeated national champs. That ended in 1977 or 76. 
came to ISU for the 76-77 season. A tall, skinny, blonde-haired kid named Larry Bird played 77, 78, 79. Man, I was around the winningest basketball for the decade of the 70s. You talk about Forrest Gump, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Uh, it was it was fantastic, you know. And Holman Center was a place. The year before Bird came to, to Terre Haute, I don't know if I told this one or not, but the year before Bird came, a friend of mine and I would play pickup ball, and we took our five-year-olds with us, and they played on the sidelines. We'd hustle over to Holman Center to watch ISU play. Uh, we'd get there at game time, sitting about the third or fourth row, and have, have to hush our kids so they wouldn't uh, distract the players on the court. All right. Three years later, CBS, the uh, um, ISU, Larry Bird, these are the games of the week. You can't get a ticket. The place is packed. You know, it's just, uh, it's interesting to see other sports can do the same thing, but, you know, basketball can really turn a community around. And uh, uh, that was, that was a great decade for, for me for basketball. Uh, you know, though, that the basketball uh, at Indiana State University, you, you talk about being charged 50 cents to go to Assembly Hall because they couldn't get crowds. Uh, just show your ID when I was there from 86 to 90 at Indiana State University, and you got in free. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, at, at IU, I think uh, Coach Knight, either one of the students to get in free or he wanted to guarantee the students got seats near the floor, and that, that didn't happen. Uh you know, I mean, they could sit on the ends, but it 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 comes down to money. And basketball, at, you know, at, at a good basketball school, is a cash sport. Uh, and you know, it, it. But to your original question, you know, I I love going back to to IU. I haven't been there for a while. Took my grandkids one year. Uh, wanted to show them the court. Um, it was all locked up. Couldn't get in. Went to the equipment manager. Said I used to play here. N- named uh, the equi- the guys who were the equipment managers when I played. Oh, you knew Red. You knew Warren. Hey, we'll lo- we'll unlock. It. So you know, they let us into the assembly into assembly hall, and we stood right on the the Indiana logo in the middle of it, and, and let them take a look around how big it was. And uh, you know, I said, just imagine it was seventeen thousand people in it. You know, good memories. What did you What did you think of the floor at the Holman Center? Did you like it? Was it not one of your favorites, or you know? Uh, no, do you I didn't. You're talking about the You're talking about the tartan floor. Yeah, I I, I really like wood better. Um, you get a different kind of floor burn if, on that tartan floor. Uh, you could slide on some of them. Some of them, it was just like an eraser, and you stuck to them. Uh, I really like the wood floor. I think I I always thought they were easier on the knees. I've had ten knee surgeries and. I just thought wood was more forgiving. The problem is from time to time you'd have wood floors that would have dead spots in them. But, you know, defensively you could force your man to a place where the dribble wouldn't come back up to him. So uh, I don't know that I had seen uh, one of those artificial floors before um, Before I saw it at ISU. But now I've, I've seen all kinds of stuff. There's a parochial school here in town that has a – it's like a waffle floor. Uh, oh my gosh, I'd hate to fall on that thing, but it, it's it's like tiles that that clip together. Uh, Evansville, let's see, Robert Stadium in Evansville when we played the semi-state there, uh, that was an awful floor because it 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 
it screwed the section screwed together and and they had uh screw holes i mean these were about three quarters of an inch and they were recessed a little bit it was like a vegetable grate if you were to slide across that thing you could really tear yourself up i don't know how people didn't trip on it but again that's been 50 years ago i'm assuming they've upgraded the, the technology since then and tell us about the uh about the reunion what was it like uh was it was it exciting fond memories from it and um uh, uh share please yeah it was it was great uh we had uh, probably six of the players back. Two have died. A couple were out of town. Now maybe three were out of town. Um, four, four of the starters, Tony Smith, Rex Sager, Brian Canada, and Jim Trout were there. The fifth starter, Paul Bruner, was deceased. We had the JV coaches. We had all five of the cheerleaders, two of the four managers. Um, lots of stories. And the nice thing is when you get that big a group together, uh, people remembered a lot of things I didn't remember. And I remembered a lot of things other people didn't remember. So, uh, you got to relive old, you know, familiar old times, but then you got to be surprised. Uh, and the best stories, I can't tell you, um, they, 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 uh, I'm not like they're super dirty and vulgar, but the punchline might be something I'm not going to say, say over the air. Uh, but it, it was, it was fantastic. We had a little reception, a um, couple guys showed up in their letter jackets, you know, uh, uh, I, well, okay. I'm going to take a jab at Wayne flick. He's a common friend of ours. He set this whole thing up. Okay. So at the reception before the JV game, there was a radio station there doing interviews and, uh, uh, they wanted to interview me. Okay. This podcast has maybe made me a little popular. So they wanted to interview me and Wayne flick said, well, make him last because he'll never blank shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I'm going to leave out a little bit in the middle. After the the varsity game, we went to a, another location in town, and everybody had a chance on the microphone, and I got Wayne's permission to talk. <laughs> but that 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 reception afterwards, people were talking about the Lagodi basketball family, how much the coaches meant to them. Uh, it was a good time to reflect. I, I went to the to the JV coach, Nante. Uh, we had really good JV teams, and I had taken psychology as a um, uh, an elective class with him as a senior in high school. And after everything was over, I said, I want to tell you something, coach, just to put everything in perspective. I played varsity basketball for one year. I've been a psychologist for 35. You know, it, it, it basketball, you know, helps us get ready to do what we're going to do, but it, it still comes down to education and work and so on. And, and that was the impact he had on me. I got to do what I wanted to do. I got, got to be what I wanted to be. Um, in between, it, we, we had a nice introduction between the JV and the varsity games. All of us were given uh, uh, jerseys, the, the players, their name and a number. For me, it was just a, just a name. Got a nice plaque with one of the newspaper pictures from a tournament win. Uh, you know, nice applause from the crowd. Uh, all the players got to go into the locker room. And, uh, Ligoti has a new coach this year, Ryan Haywood, uh, came from Princeton. Uh, so we, we, we got to listen to the pregame instructions, and I guess you'd say the pregame motivation. I got to say I was really uh, impressed with both, but especially the pregame instructions. It's, it's very obvious they worked on specific things during the week. His instructions he had written down on the board. 
He went through what they had emphasized. Uh, I found the thing I found most interesting. Uh, I don't want to be too specific because I don't know whether this is a, you know, a big secret or not, but just in general, where a press is concerned, uh, and, and I, I found this to be true, you know, when, uh, uh, we played Washington Catholic when I was a senior, the guards apply pressure to the ball handler, but it, it isn't necessarily intended for them to get steals or take an even equal chance getting a steal or getting a foul. It's for the ball, pre- ball handler to panic and make a bad pass. He was getting those guys to think about how their role related to the role of other people on the team. So that was, that was really interesting. Uh, he talked about the season from a, um, that game from a season long perspective. And I, maybe it's their fourth or fifth game. I think they're ranked eighth in the state and that's not where they want to be. You know, they would, they would like to go higher than that, but it's early in the season. So, um, all in all, I, I think we showed up about five o'clock and left around midnight and, and, uh, uh, talked to people that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was fantastic. And I guess the other thought that I had when I was in the locker room was I thought, I hope that you guys have an opportunity to, to do something tonight that brings you back in 50 years from tonight, that you could, something that you can be proud of. Um, you they know, were us 50 years ago. You, you know, it must be hard though, to, be a basketball coach at Lagodi with, with, you know, cause, cause no one will ever be a coach Jack Butcher. Right. Right. And, and I think that a coach has to come in realizing that. And I think, um, you know, Lagodi has had some, some, some great coaches, some former players, uh, who I don't think were universally accepted because they weren't Jack Butcher. And I think that the, from what I, I could see this, the, that, that weekend, people have kind of, uh, you know, they've awakened and smelled the coffee and realized that uh, I was going to say he's not coming back through the door. He was at the reunion, uh, but that he's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a different time. Players' motivations are different. Everything is different. The coach, coach has to coach year-round. Um, I, I think that they have realistic expectations. Uh, I would say almost every speaker came to the microphone uh, at our at our gathering after the game, especially when the you know well, even before the coach came in, he had some things to do after the game. All of them felt that he uh, had things going in the right direction. That but they kept talking about being a good start, being a good start. Um, it's easy to get for everybody to have energy and, and be motivated when things are going well and things are new. Uh, it's hard to be in it for the. It's hard to be in it for the long run. And, and that kind of brings me to a couple of uh, uh, Coach uh, Knight quotes. Uh, he, he took exception with somebody. Uh, a reporter probably said something, used the expression, the will to win. Uh, and he said something along the lines of, we're Americans. Every American has the will to win. You know, what makes the difference is, do you have the will to prepare to win? Uh which brings us to practice doesn't make perfect, perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. When we, when we practiced at Lagodi and when we practiced at IU, there was no wasted time. There was no standing around and talking while, you know, somebody else was shooting free throws or doing this or that. In fact, at IU, when we walked in, we were given a sheet that broke down the two or two and a half hours, what we were going to be doing. And, and when a whistle blew, you went to the next thing on the sheet. So, 
he, he tried to run a perfect practice. And I can say for myself, uh, one of my goals when I helped coach little kids is make sure that nobody is standing. You know, if the better players are, are running the offense without defense or whatever, I wanted to be doing something with the other players. Nobody needs to practice standing. Everybody knows how to do that. You know, uh, I'm going to come back to to coaching little kids in a second, but you know, it, it it always reminds me, Oh, Dave and Goliath, Dave and Goliath, uh, you know, uh, what, what a great thing that if you read the Bible, David was a shepherd and there were wolves and lions and he drove them off with his sling. In other words, David practiced all the time. Right. Okay? When he went up against Goliath, it wasn't a half-court shot. It wasn't a lucky thing. It, for David and Goliath to work out or to, to work out the way you want to with the, the storybook ending, David practiced. David's got to practice. You know, Hickory practiced. Milan practiced. Lagodi practiced. You know, you don't practice. Goliath is going to stomp you into pace, you know. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. That's a great analogy. Well, it's it's uh, it's it's very true. I mean, I, we got an awful lot. I mean, my life lessons came out of the, out of practices, not not so much the games because I didn't play that much. It, it, you know, there there are a variety of things. Uh, uh, I'm not going to name. I've I've seen teams these days that play defense. And every time the offensive players cross, it's an automatic switch. All right? Uh, that's what I call n- no responsibility defense. At IU, at, at, we played a little bit of zone in Lagodi. We played a lot of man-to-man. At IU, the only time zone was ever played was the defensive team might have played zone to mimic the upcoming opponent. But the varsity only played man-to-man, and you never switched. Not you switched under these conditions. You never switched. When a guy was setting a pick, there was something that the the pick defender, the guy defending the man setting the pick, there were a couple things he could do to help his teammate get through the pick. Uh, But if your man scored, your man scored. It wasn't, well, I yelled switch. How lame is that? (laughs) You know, I yelled switch. It It wasn't my fault. You know, I, I saw on, online the other day, it was uh, over a picture of uh, Michael Jordan. It says, if, if you get upset for missing a shot, why don't you get equally upset when your man scores? Well, if you're playing man-to-man in Bob Knight's system, you're upset when your man scores because that's your man. That's not Steve Downing was supposed to get him or Steve Offeld was supposed to switch off or whatever. And I really, I really like that. I, I was uh, talking to a kid this week a basketball player, but it was about a variety of things. And, and uh, I said, you know, the one person that you can always count on, it's yourself. You know, you can count on yourself. You can let yourself down, but you can count on yourself. And and that's what, to me, man-to-man, uh, man-to-man defense under under Coach Knight really taught is, is just total responsibility. And, you know, pretty soon you don't get any um, – excuses from anybody about their defense they may talk to somebody about you know calling out quicker so i don't get blindsided on this pick you know something like that because there, there has to be help but uh there were very very specific rules for playing in that that defensive system that worked great uh but it was all it was based on responsibility and and i i enjoyed that so you know i i i guess i kind of run my life and the people that i run into you know i try to uh 
uh, convince them that hey, you, you can have other people, you can try to give them responsibility, but um, it isn't going to work out for you so well in the long run. Uh, John, when did the idea of what you are today come about either in your thought process or, or by doing, and how has it kind of changed or has it changed over the years? You mean my profession as a psychologist? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I was I was interested uh, uh, from that that class with Coach Nante my senior year in high school. Didn't know exactly what it took to be a psychologist. Uh, it, it just seemed like an interesting profession. People, you know, I, I I'm uh, am a I guess you'd say a, a people person. People are fascinating to me. I, you know. Uh, I, I can't be around people without starting up a conversation because I can always learn something from them. Um, so I pursued a, a degree in psychology at IU. Uh, and then w- when I'm a senior, believe it or not, uh, I find out to be a psychologist in, in the state of Indiana at the private practice level. You have to have a Ph.D. I, I didn't know anybody smart enough to have a Ph.D. I wasn't smart enough to get a Ph.D., you know, I just had a bachelor's degree, and think about going to school another three or four years. <laughs> Holy cow, man, you talk about discouraging. Uh, I did realize that a bachelor's degree in psychology wasn't going to get me anything, so I um, graduated from IU, came to ISU, uh, got a master's degree, um, and got a job, you know, uh, I, I, this is this is kind of a quirk in my life. I've never applied for a job. Uh, every job I've been asked, you know, before I graduated with my master's degree, a guy who graduated a semester earlier said, hey, we've got a job opening. I'd, I'd like you to interview for it. Okay. And then, you know, fr- from then on, it was somebody would approach me and say, hey, we've got an opening, so on and so forth. So I, I get my master's degree and I work for seven years all the time thinking about Coach Butcher especially Coach Knight talking about potential, thinking I want to be a psychologist. In order to do it, I have to get a Ph.D. Uh, All during this time, I'm playing ball with some guys that I got my master's with at ISU. Great guys. Uh, And they were graduate students in psychology. They were in a doctoral program. Uh, I talked about basketball as as a projective test. These guys were all hard workers, good teammates, enjoyed what they were doing. Uh, I thought they were going to the school of psychology. And then I realized there's a psychological profession, uh, specialty called school psychology. And it, it emphasizes uh, working with, with school-age kids, working with their problems, uh, doing counseling, doing testing. Uh, special education is heavily involved. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting uh that sounds like a real interesting program and by coincidence i ran into the guy who um was in charge of admissions for that program uh so i I got a master's work for seven years and enrolled in a doctoral program knowing i'm not smart enough to write a dissertation but graduate school is kind of like they say eating an elephant it's just one bite at a time you know, you don't think about uh, how, what it's going to be like to get this whole thing down. You take a class, you go through. And what I found is that uh, um, being really intelligent isn't the most important thing in graduate school. Uh, the two most important things are being really organized and working hard. 
those two overcome not being really intelligent. Now, I would say in basketball, if you're really organized and you really work hard, that might overcome, you know, not being as intelligent as some other. So, you know, basketball had set up habits for me that made, uh, uh, I'll just tell you, you know, I, I had a, uh, a little over a B average um, GPA when I got my bachelor's degree. My doctoral program was, was a 4.0. Loved every minute of it. If we uh, had to take turns doing presentations, I always volunteered to go first because then I got it out of the way. But I set the bar that way. Um, I, I, was, I was so organized that I think the program normally took four years to get through it. It took me three um, so it, 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 it prepared me for whatever came up. I, I did not get, uh, there was a very prestigious internship that I didn't get. I got an internship at the, uh, at our local mental health center in Terre Haute, um, which, uh, you know, it's kind of Forrest Gump again. I, I was in the right place at the right time. We started an alternative program the year I was an intern, uh, for the third interview in a row, Billy, I'm sitting out in front of uh, Terre Haute South Vigo High School. Uh, I just walked through an alternative program that is one of the offspring of that uh, alternative program I was, I was involved with starting 35 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, I uh, worked, I ended up, from my internship at the mental health center, I worked there for seven years. I got my private practice license, worked a couple of other places in my last 22 years, uh, ended up working um, in the Vigo County School Corporation and a couple corporations around working in the special ed co-op uh, and enjoyed every minute of it. Tremendous variety. Uh, uh, I, I specialize in angry students, angry staff, and angry parents. And when I say angry, some of it's legitimate frustration, confusion. They They don't know what to do. I was in a position where, you know, I could help out people tremendously. Uh, where I could I could uh, mentor other professionals. The person who took my job, man, I raised her. She spent five hours shadowing me when she was first a graduate student. Then she did an internship with me. Uh, then I tried to hire her and eventually did, and she worked under my supervision for several years. All the while, me knowing she is the logical person to take my job when I retire because she will do it better than me, and she does. And to bring things kind of full circle, I have a granddaughter who is a second semester junior at ISU. Uh, she, she's uh, a social work major, and she's going out to do her first, uh, her first field experience. She is doing her first field experience in the exact division of the mental health center where I did my internship. Very neat. You know, it's it, so, it, I, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, uh, I run into people that will make eye contact with me a little too long, and then they'll come <laughs> over and they'll say, oh, I, always, I always remember something that you said. or I always, And I, I kind of cringe because, you know, not everything that drops out of my mouth is, you know, a pearl of wisdom. Uh, but I've, had, I've been in a position to have a nice impact on people um, and to help a lot more people, I'm sure, than, than I harmed. Uh, and, you know... My, my father in all this is Tim Nante. You know, he got me started in psychology. And, uh, you know, we talk about bloodlines, and you were talking about, you know, Coach Wooden and Coach McCracken. For, for several years, I taught the Rorschach inkblot test, which isn't at all what you would think it is based on what you see on TV. But my professor, uh, 
Carl Zucker was his name. My professor studied under a professor who studied under Herman Rorschach. So I'm a couple of generations away from the guy who developed the test. You know, all of our life, if you reach out, is six degrees of separation, you know, and, and, and you get the opportunity and have the responsibility to try to carry on those positive things, you know, from, from the people that you run into over the course of your life. You know, it's that was the short, that was the short answer. No, that was the short answer. <laughs> well, it, it it's interesting, and I just I just want to kind of uh, insert a couple things here before you continue on. But you know, I, I had a professor at Indiana State University. His name was Dr. Edward Spann, and he was in the history department. And you had to pass uh, historiography four ninety to get your degree in history. You had to. And before taking that class, you just heard all of the horror stories of how you're going to have to take it two and three times. I failed it four times. You're going to have to come back. You're not going to get your degree in four years, blah, 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 blah. And uh, we were, uh, Dirt had more money than my family did. So I I had an academic scholarship to Indiana State University. And I thought, I got to get out in four because I can't afford it. And you know, so I go into this class just thinking, God, what a nightmare. You know, uh, your stomach is upset. You're you're worried about it. And what it literally came down to was Dr. Edward Spann wanted you in his class every day. He wanted you yeah. to input something constructive every day. And he wanted you to turn your work in on time every day. These people who failed, I mean, I was taught... I was taught historiography. I was taught. I did a great paper on Eugene V. Debs, although I don't want to talk about him. Uh, <laughs> and I also uh, learned so much more in that class, which was not in the description of that class. And people, because sure. they didn't want to show up on time, they didn't want to participate. They, you know what I mean, or, or even show up to the class. He watched that, and that's how. Believe it or not, that's how you were graded. I walked out of that class with a B and passed. And everybody that was in that class, I thought following along in the uh, four years to get my degree, I thought were a lot smarter people than I was. And but just because I did what he was trying to teach us, you know, I passed it. And it, it's very interesting how I, I take that approach to life. So you were organized and you worked hard. Right. Because I didn't think yeah. I had, the, I didn't think I had the, I didn't think I had the ball handling skills or the jump shot or, or the the strength or uh, the ability to jump to be able to pass the class. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I know Edward Spann only from this. He um, I rode bicycles with him from time to time. Uh, one time it must have been one of my many knee surgeries, and I was running the sag wagon. I'd drive my pickup truck along, and if somebody just you know conked out. I'd haul him back to the start and it was a hot day and uh, he and it must have been he and his wife. I, I, I gave them a ride. If you're ever in Terre Haute, there's a nice bicycle trail out of town and a bench that has a plaque dedicated to Edward Spann. Very nice. Uh, because he was, he was, uh, I think a contributor to the bike trail. He was well known in the bike club. So he had a, he had a lot of, uh, a lot of impact. Um, there are a couple of, uh, See, six, a, a six, degrees of, six degrees um, of separation. I didn't yeah. know you knew Ed, uh, yeah. Dr. Spann. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, I wanted, I wanted to say, because uh, the, 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 the weekend we had our 50th reunion, uh, Jack Butcher's oldest son, Bill Butcher, was honored uh, for, I think, what would it be, a 25th 
anniversary team or uh, or making it into the Hall of Fame. He was he was honored individually. So I, I have to say this. I've often said our 1971 team had the disadvantage of not having a 6'5 and a 6'6 player. All right. In 1975, when Bill Butcher was a senior, 1975, total, no carryovers, obviously, from the 70 or 71 teams. That team went to the state championship game, and they didn't have a starter over 6'2". So while I whine a little bit about we didn't have the height, we probably had more height than they did, and they went to the championship game. They were undefeated uh, with one forfeit. They were undefeated going into the championship game. So I guess you could say they were something like 26-1-1, one and one, something like that. They uh, uh, beat, beat Springs Valley at Springs Valley with Larry Bird. So I just wanted to give a shout-out and give them, them some credit. Uh, and another thing, if I may, uh, to tie psychology to basketball, I – I've said that I wasn't a, a, a very good game coach, but one summer I decided that I wanted to uh, experiment with teaching kids to think on their own playing basketball. So uh, my son was probably a sixth or seventh grader, and I got about seven, you know, six or seven of his buddies, and we put together a team for a summer league. Um, you know, you, you often, you know, you shoot around before a game, even before the warm-ups. We would go to a, a, an elementary school in town. Uh, we would shoot around a little bit before our summer league game, but mostly we would talk about what might come up in the game. And I had taught these guys five defenses, uh, and they were one, two, three, four, and five fingers to, to indicate the defense and talk generally about under what circumstances you would use what you know, what defense but I told them, I want you to look at the bench and signal me what defense you think you should be in because I want you telling me what's the right defense. And I always remember we were going to play a team that had a really weak ball handler. Uh, he, he didn't start, but, I, but we had talked about when this kid comes into the game, man, we got we got to pick him up on a man-to-man press. You know, So halfway through the game, buzzer sounds this week ball handlers checking in all my guys look over the bench with five fingers up. That's what I was going for. I wanted them to be telling me, I wanted them to think, uh, another great experience from that team was, um, we, we ran, we, we, we took advantage of the other team's weaknesses and our strengths. And we had, uh, our, our forward on the right side scored three times in a row, really excited, scored three times in a row. The other team calls a timeout. My team comes over. They're all excited, for the forward on the left-hand side of the court. He says, when are we going to run the play to my side? Eric's doing all the scoring. I said, well, he is. He scored three times, and his defender's pretty weak. I said, what do you think? Why do you think they called the timeout? Well, because we scored three times in a row. I said, yeah. What do you think they're talking about over in that other huddle? And somebody says, well, they're going to take, they're going to take that weak defender uh, off of Eric and put somebody stronger on him. I said, yeah. I said, now, where do you think that weak defender's going to go? My forward on the left-hand side, his face lights up. He's going to guard me. So I look at my guards and I said, where do you think would be a good place to run the play when we come out of this timeout? And that was kind of the way the whole season was. Was uh, I, I, I tried to talk them through until they got to the point that they could tell me, this is the defense we should be running. This, you know, it, was, it was great, and it's possible at every level. You just have to – I mean – you have to check your ego if you're the coach, which is easy for me because I'm a lousy 
head coach, even at you know a middle school level during game. I'm not a quick thinker that way. So it was a, a great advantage for me to teach those kids to think. The only absolute limitation I put up, put on them, Billy, was uh, I didn't feel we didn't have anybody who was going to shoot above 33% from the three-point line. Um, it, 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 I think it messes up your offense if you're cranking up three-pointers. I know as a rebounder, it's hard to get rebounds. And I told the guys, we absolutely were not going to shoot three-pointers unless I gave them the sign, and the sign was Jumanji. Jumanji was a popular movie, the original with Robin Williams. Right. If I said Jumanji, we were either so far ahead that I was going to give them some leeway uh, or, we ha- or we had to score three-pointers. So um, there's a, a kid a little bit taller than me. He's got a beard about down to his navel. Nice kid. When I see him, about the first thing he always says to me is Jumanji. Those guys still remember. You know, we couldn't shoot the threes. I hope that they learned a lot. Uh, uh, it, it, it didn't, it, it renewed my faith that, that kids at all ages in sports can and should think for themselves if they would just be given the chance. You know, this mentoring that you do, you know, since we've been doing our interviews uh, and um, you at Terre Haute South, um, it, is this something that you really, I mean, is this something that you really enjoy doing and how, how long ago did you retire and what else do you do in retirement? Well, I retired about six years ago and my goal was not to, uh, not to, to commit to anything. Uh, I did make the mistake of taking a really good, uh, um, two, I think it was two half days a week. Uh, job. I was doing mental status exams for Social Security. Uh, it wasn't an ongoing. It wasn't where I had to to, to, to worry about. I, you know, I'd see the pe- pre- person once. Um, I'd test them, uh, make my recommendations, my report. But I had to show up someplace. Uh, you know, wear socks, a belt, shave. <laughs> you know, uh, you know it, it forced me to use a computer, the, the, and I just really. Uh, uh, I, 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 I would advise anybody when you retire, don't, don't feel like you uh, have to have a routine right off the bat. Give it six months, you know? Uh, so I, after a couple of months on that, that job, I, I quit. Uh, and I just, I, I do what I want when I want, if I want, and I really stayed away from, uh, um, I refused for years to supervise graduate students, and I'd been asked to mentor. No, because you got to show up at a certain place at a certain time. Um, beginning of this year, I was trying to decide whether to renew my psychologist license or not. You you have to have 40 uh, continuing education units every two years, so there's some time and expense. And really, I, I wasn't in a position to uh, do a lot of work as a psychologist, but after you've after you've worked so hard to get it, it's kind of hard to let it go. And the, uh, the day after I decided to renew my license, so it'll be good through 2022, uh, the day after a graduate student came to me who'd asked me several times if I would supervise her, and I'd always said no. Well, I was asked again. Oh, well, I said, you know, you're right now you're working where I used to work. You're doing a lot of testing. Um, I'm, I'm not expert in that area. I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't do an ethical job supervising you. And she goes, well, but I have a, 
an EDS, which is a master's plus 30 hours degree. She says, I have a license to do the testing. That's not the supervision I need. I need networking, consultation, uh, things like that. So, uh, yeah, but there's a liability. Well, you know, your my old employer said, uh, instead of you being an independent contractor, we'll hire you an hour a week, so we'll carry the liability. So I've, I've tremendously enjoyed supervising that student. Uh, she She wants to... Uh, get a, she's working on her PhD. She wants to get a private practice license, so she has to be supervised by a private private practice level psychologist to get it. So I've enjoyed that. Didn't think I'd ever do it. And then I get approached to super or to uh, mentor a student. Oh man, you know I I don't know that I've got a lot to to offer. Uh, I, I I don't know about you. I I would say for me, and I think it's true of some other student managers. Um, it's not the big um, it's not the big ego boost that being the, the player or the coach is, you know, uh, student managers still all oh, the water boy, you know, still kind of made fun of in some circles. And I thought, what do I really have to, to give? But I have a really smart teacher says, you know, I, I match my mentors up with particular kids. And, and there's a kid who's, who's a, he's a smart kid. He's got a quick wit. She says, I just think the two of you will hit it off. So, uh, I kind of wanted to do it on probation, but I didn't want to hurt the kid's feelings. And you know what? He's a smart kid. He's got a quick wit. Uh, and I find that he and I talk about what I talk about with anybody, you know, how people want to be treated, how you need to, you know, how you need to, to treat people. Um, he and I went to uh, walk, walk through an alternative school today because he was kind of curious to see it. Uh, I like his, his sense of curiosity. Uh, he's just, uh, he's he's a friend. He just happens to be fifty years younger than me, you know. Uh, so I I I'm enjoying that. I hope he's he's getting some good out of it. It's 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 good for me. Uh, I think it's going to branch out a little bit. He's a little bit interested in woodworking, so uh, I may every couple of weeks come to uh, his 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 teacher in the woodworking class is someone I know well. So she's invited me to come in with him and spend an hour. I only see him every two weeks, but come in and. Uh, spend an hour, you know, in, in the shop class and then spend my time with him. So, um, I'm getting, you know, I, 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 I'm a slow learner, Billy. It's taken me five or six years to realize I probably should have been doing this all along. But. <laughs> did, to expand upon that six degrees of separation, did you by happen chance ever take the World War II class with Dr. Layton? No, 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 okay. I didn't. Okay. No, uh, but, but I can do another six degrees of separation related to that. There's a manager graduated in, I think, 1998 from Lagodi named uh, Justin Bird. Um, Justin Bird, I think when my book came out, no, no, it was before my book came out. He was interviewing, uh, he was interviewing former players. Justin had been a manager. He was at the reunion wearing his jacket, his letter with, you know, uh, he was was at the reunion trying to get signatures, autographs from everybody. But uh, when I talked to Justin about 10 years ago, he mentioned the, uh, the radio, the tapes from the radio broadcast of the games when I was a senior. I didn't know they existed. Tremendous surprise. Made copies. I enjoyed, a, I enjoyed those tremendously. And in the course of talking about those, he talked about when he interviewed my dad. I said, what do you mean? He interviewed my And so it was a high school history class. I think it was high school. Could have been college. Uh, he interviewed my dad about World War II. And I heard more in that interview 
I heard my dad talk more about World War II in that interview than I did all the time growing up. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah, this is six degrees, but it's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a little more separated than that. <laughs> but it, it goes back to, you know, it, it, everything relates. Everything right. relates. Basketball is a great, I used the word microcosm early on uh, in these interviews. It's a small world and uh, that you're learning through basketball, but you, you, you learn that the whole world is a small world. And the people that we ignore in other countries, the people that we ignore on the street who may need some help, the, 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 the person that we walk by that we could, you know, put our finger down so they could tie a bow around it, you know, that all changes the world. I don't want, want to get in all, you know, touchy feely and the butterfly effect and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, it, it, if you're paying attention, everything, everything relates and you can have an influence on, uh, your immediate world, which becomes less immediate. And it, it, it comes back to you. And I've learned that through basketball, through life, through psychology. Um, it all, it all relates. Even the things that are so small, you, you'd never think, but they, they come back. You know, doing what you do and have been doing it for so long and how good you are at it, can I get your take on what you think goes on in Coach Knight's mind now about going back to Indiana University or acknowledging or letting them celebrate him at the school? Uh, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a hard pass on that or a medium <laughs> hard pass. Uh you know he's a he's a very a very proud man. Um, sometimes pride can be looked at as stubbornness. Uh, I think darn near everybody that he had a beef with, or who had a beef with him, is dead. Uh, I, I think that it would be. I would hope that he would be gratified at how warmly, how fondly he's remembered. I think it would mean the world to. Uh, uh, to former players and, and, and to the fans. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I don't understand all of it. I, I think that the, when they had uh, a reunion of the uh, 1976 team recently uh, and, and he didn't attend, I, I think to a man, those players, you know, wished that he had been there. Uh, you know, you're not a team without your coach. Um, coach Butcher, you know, came to our, you know, uh, our, our five o'clock reception, he sat through the games with us. He didn't come to the, uh, the after party for lack of a better word. Uh, people had things to say to him and we're really, we're, we're really glad to see him. Uh, and I've got to say he's, you know, he's older now. He's, he's using a cane. Uh, he's not as steady on his feet, um, as he once was. And I think if you watched carefully as he walked through the crowd, or sat down, I think everyone was mindful of not wanting him to feel um, any lack of independence. But Billy, if he had started to totter or fall, I think there always would have been a couple players there to catch him because they were watching. He took care of them 50 years ago. That's awesome. You know, yeah. he's, their, he's their basketball dad. Uh, they're they're, you know, they're going to take, they're going to take care of him. And, and, you know, and, and so it goes, you know, we saw coach butcher, then we're kind of an older generation, but we saw, you know, the, the eighth ranked class, a, uh, lions take the court and do exactly what their coach told them to do. And it just, you just keep passing it down and passing it down. And it can be a pretty pure and wonderful thing. Um, 
if you remember that the point isn't to it isn't to win basketball games, it's to teach kids to learn how to win basketball games and how to pass the history course at ISU with Dr. Spann that almost nobody passes the first time around, or to get a PhD when you're not smart enough to get a PhD, or to get your job, you know, it it, uh, it, it all runs together. You know, um, I read something, a, a couple of interesting things recently. One was about dream jobs, you know, getting your dream job. It's rare to get your dream job immediately. What they find is that people get, they get a job that they can do, get a job that they can stand and they can do. And as they put in the time on the job, wow, this sounds like organization and hard work. As they put in the time on the job, they get better at it. As they get better at it, they enjoy it more. And darn if that, if that job, maybe five, ten years down the road, hasn't turned into their dream job. Well, part of it is the individual has changed their take on the job. But if they work hard and they take care of their teammates at work, They've also changed the environment. They've changed the job some. So it's those same, you know, being persistent, organized, working hard. Uh, another book, um, the, the main title is Range, and it, it, it has to do with being a generalist, being good at a lot of different things. Um, when, I, when I was going to, to Ligoti High School, every sport had a season. No sport was year-round. Today I can't imagine cross, a cross-country team starting training in August. You know, I see high school cross country teams running in the snow. You know, they, they train year round. Everybody specializes. But the, the premise of the book range is that you uh, are overall, I think, better adjusted and more adaptable and more successful if you are open to a variety of different experiences and you wait almost as long as you can before you decide what you're going to specialize in. I used to see um, when I saw when I saw uh, individual patients, uh, I see I saw high school, uh, a couple of all state uh, athletes, uh, academic honors, class officers. I, I saw at times the the cream of the crop. And one thing that many of them had, I would say most of them had in common, is they were not willing to to start an activity they they they'd never done before. They weren't they didn't want a, a new sport. They didn't want to try to learn a new language. Uh, they were trapped by success. Everybody expected them to get straight A's. Their parents had um, high expectations. There's nothing wrong with high expectations. They had impossible expectations. You know, the worst thing you could do is fail, you know, is, is get a B. B would be a failure. Can you imagine? It sounds like maybe you can't. I, I, I couldn't either. If the expectation was you're going to get straight A's and the only place you can go is down. Uh, and, and the sports analogy to that is the year, uh, late one NBA season, Wilt Chamberlain was averaging 55 points a game and he slacked off. So he ended the season just averaging 50.5. He said he'd created a monster. If he scored 40 points in a game, people were disappointed. Yeah. And he had to score 60 points the next game. And I see these these students who there's no joy in it anymore. You know, there's no, I, I, you know, discovering means maybe failing or, or maybe not being the best, you know? So I think that, that the adaptability developing range organization helps you overcome shortcomings, you know, uh, 
basketball throws you zone defense and man-to-man and full court and three-quarter court and pick them up at the volleyball line is a new thing and on and on and on. You, you learn to be adaptable. And, and I can tell you as a psychologist, lack of adaptability is probably the thing that messes people up more than anything else. Something changes and they don't know what to do about it. Or they don't think they know what to do about it. I would say, uh, well, the overwhelming majority of the patients I've ever seen know they know what to do. They just kind of need permission to do it. So, so, and, how, so how do you, how do you become adaptable? What what are your what are your uh, uh, rules for that or steps for that to become adaptable? Well, there was a there was a psychiatrist on the old uh, sitcom Mash, uh, Doctor Sidney. I can't remember his last word or his last name. And he had a he had a, a poem. He said, "Ladies and gentlemen, take my advice." pull down your pants and slide on the ice. You know, don't be afraid to take a risk, make a fool of yourself. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, if, if a person thinks that this is probably the right thing to do, yeah, then do it. Okay. What's the, you know, often the worst that you can do is uh, maybe, you know, maybe fail, but if it's not going to hurt you physically or hurt anybody else or kill you financially, Everybody fails. You know, uh, Edison probably holds the world record for the most patents, I would guess. Don't know that for sure. But uh, uh, I'll bet you he had a lot more failures than he had patents. Well, you know, so people come in, it would come into my office and, and uh, I, I, you know, I would keep saying, well, what do you think? What do you think? And they'd tell me what they think. You know, well, what's wrong with that plan? And then we'd kind of go through what might be wrong with a, with a particular plan, what may, might be the pitfalls. But then the assignment for the next session was that they're going to try what they think is the right thing to do. And people have pretty darn good instincts about what the right thing is to do. Uh, and then you adapt, and there's nothing that succeeds like success. You know, whether it's a, uh, a kid I was seeing or I was seeing the parent, I'd give them uh, this is the way I'd put it. I would set the bar of expectation so low that they would trip over it. All right. I would make their assignment for the upcoming week so simple that they would have success. Cause that's really what I wanted them to see was they could do, they could, they could make even a, they could make a small change and be successful. Okay. Now let's try a bigger one, and a bigger one and a bigger one. You know, my goal was always to become unnecessary that people could tell themselves what they needed to do. And I think for a coach, their job should always be to become unnecessary that uh, this is another, another Bob Knight story. And, and forgive me if I've told this one again, I, I read this in a book about the 1976 team. Uh, I can't imagine this happening very often with any coach, but the Quinn Buckner checked himself into a game. He was out for a breather. He was watching the action on the court and a couple of things happened. And he was so certain that the coach was going to send him in that he just ran past the coach to the scorer's bench and checked in. Now, that's when you've known you've done a good job as a coach. When your player knows, your player knows what to do without being told. So Quinn Buckner, I would say, is probably a pretty darn successful guy in life uh, because he's, he's taken the chances and, and success, success breeds success. You know, we've had almost four hours of stories and, uh, in my opinion, at times therapy. <laughs> I appreciate uh, everything that uh, we've chatted about. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, there are, there are a couple things. First, 
please, uh, I hope that Wayne Flick puts some cotton balls in his ears in case they're bleeding. <laughs> he looks like <laughs> he's a great sport, though. I'll tell you something. Uh, had a lot of pictures uh, from from this weekend, and my favorite picture is Wayne Flick. Uh, he's leaning against the wall in the, the, the tunnel outside the locker room. Laughing. Uh, the, the, the Lions locker room. Yeah. He, he's talking to somebody, but he's got his head thrown back and laughing. That is my favorite picture. That is just somebody enjoying the heck out of life. Now, Wayne did a lot of organizing and a lot of work to get that reunion going. Uh, you know, he, he, he brought joy to a lot of people. But doing that for others, that brought a lot of joy to him, too. Right. So, you know, I, I thank him for making this connection with us in the first place. Uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been interesting to me. Here's another quick I think quick six degrees of separation. One of the guys I talked to a lot uh, was a guy named Brian Bruner. He was related to Paul Bruner, who was on the, the 1970 and 71 teams. But I also worked with his dad. Uh, when I was in college, I worked summers with him as a carpenter. And I was telling him some stories about his dad. And then it occurred to me when I got home, when I did my, I, my master's degree required a final um, experiment and paper. And I did that where I worked with Brian Bruner's dad. Uh, it was to increase job satisfaction for the employees that I worked with. That was my final, my final paper. So the guy I spent talking to about as much as anybody, uh, loved Lagodi basketball, but I had another connection to him through, through his dad. So, uh, he'll probably hear this before he gets, he's going to get a copy of that, the original, the, the study and all the, the cover letters to the president of the organization, all this stuff was from 1976. I'll get that in the mail in the next day or two. And I hope he and his dad enjoy going back and, and reliving some of, some of those times from, from Ligoti, some of the work times. So it's been nearly four hours. These were supposed to be 45 minutes apiece, right? Oh, uh, no. We, 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 we go over a little bit of an hour each. Okay. We could probably okay. bill for five well, hours. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you what, I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've, I've talked about, you know, uh, everything that, that I wanted to talk about. And uh, I, I really appreciate this, this opportunity. And uh, I, hope you're not, I hope you're not losing listeners over this. Just tell them this is the last one. <laughs> no, and you know what? It is very interesting. I have found in doing this for the past five, six years that there is nothing like the passion that there is from – southern indiana basketball especially Lagodi, and and i've kind of felt kind yeah. of special that uh, you guys have kind of you know i've interviewed uh, coach wagner i've interviewed uh, uh, uh bill butcher and um uh kevin biggs and you know uh, other people with the program and and you guys have kind of uh opened the door for a big city kid or a broader kid to uh you know be a part of your lives and kind of share in the nostalgia and enjoyment of uh, the game of basketball and what it was like to uh grow up and uh, live in Lagodi. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, all the listeners have, uh, the interviewees have appreciated the, the opportunity to share Lagodi basketball. And, and the listeners that I've talked to, I talked to a couple this week who uh, were interrupted. It's, somebody was interrupted when I was shooting my one-and-one one with no time on the clock as an eighth grader and had to tell somebody else, be quiet, I've got to hear how this comes out. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 good, uh, it, it's good entertainment, but it's, it's, it's life lessons. And, uh, everybody at that uh, uh, at that reunion had led a productive life, you know, to this point. Uh, um, 
my friend Rex Sager had a, a doctorate in education. Another one of the managers had a, uh, his, his law degree. Uh, guys I went to IU with played on the freshman team. A guy passed this, John Campster passed the CPA test, the first, you know, the first taking. Steve Allfeld's an orthopedic surgeon. Steve Green is a dentist. You know, it, it, uh, uh, if anything that any of us say or any of us repeat uh, can give somebody an idea to give somebody else an idea, this will, this will just keep giving, you know, and you're, you're the, uh, you're the point guard, you know, <laughs> you're, you're getting this message out, you're orchestrating it all. And, uh, uh, can't thank you enough for the assist. Uh, you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm going to just stick with, uh, I'm still the manager. I think that, uh, you know, yeah, okay. everything that you said falls under that same category. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, John. I appreciate your time. Oh, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure.